Well, good morning. And welcome to all our, our visitors. We're so glad that you could be with us today. We don't believe that was an accident. We believe that God led you here to be, be part of today's service. So uh, we're so happy that you're here. And I want to, for those of you that are visiting, I'll just kind of set a little context. We are in the middle of a sermon series. We're talking about Isaiah. We've been doing that since the beginning of January, and we're going to keep going. As uh, Before we get started, let me, just, let me just say a brief word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for this, this servant Isaiah that you gave to us to, to teach us to foretell the coming of your servant, your Messiah, Jesus, to, came, to come to save us. Father, we thank you for his words. We thank you for, for your word that speaks to our hearts. And I pray, Father, that your, your word will move today to touch us and to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're coming up on the Easter season. It's upon us, really. Next week is Palm Sunday, and then we have Easter Sunday after that. So we thought today would be a good day to, uh, to make one little tweak to our schedule because next, next week and the week after, we're going to hit Isaiah 52 and 53. Um, those are, those are really appropriate passages for the Easter season. But we were thinking about it and we looked at it and we said, well, what happened before that? Jesus announced himself and he, he had a period of ministry before his period of, of passion and sacrifice. And so looking at Isaiah, there was one natural chapter that seemed to make sense to pull out of sequence. And I think it's the only one we pulled out of sequence, actually. So Isaiah 61 is the chapter we're going to look at today. We're going to... We're going to follow in after that and back into sequence, but Isaiah 61 is going to be our focal passage. It's the servant of the Lord that Isaiah has been introducing to us gradually, announcing his mission to the world, really. And, uh, and we see this passage in Isaiah reflected in a mirror image. In Jesus' words himself, he, he uh, actually spoke these words in public, and we're going to talk about that. So... We're excited about that. We're jumping into the New Testament today as well as Isaiah into the Gospel of Luke. It's a good time for us to remind ourselves of a really basic truth. The Old Testament is about Jesus. And, and we embrace that truth. We love it. And you might wonder, how can we say that? Even, even a practicing Jew that respects and reveres the Old Testament may deny Jesus. Well, yes, that's true. But and the Old Testament was finished 400 years before Jesus was born. So how can it be about Jesus? Well, Jesus himself talked about, even in Moses, he's talking to the Pharisees. He said, if you believe Moses, you believe me, for he wrote of me. Jesus himself affirmed the Old Testament is about Jesus. And we affirm that too. So we have two focal passages, Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, verses 16 through 22. And I'll read them a little bit separately from each other. I'll start with 61. We've noticed before that the voice changes in Isaiah sometimes, and that, that can be a little confusing if you're not ready for it. Uh, in looking at, at this week's passage, it changes at least twice. So we have at least three voices within, within today's text. And um, depending on what commentary you go look at, there's a little bit of disagreement about what the voice is in, uh, in the verse 10 section. So I took my best guess at it. And we'll roll with that today, but if you want to dispute it, you can be like the Bereans and search the scriptures and find the right answer, and I will praise you for it. Um, but just don't throw anything at me. So um, let's, let's start with the passage from Isaiah 61, hear the word of the Lord. 
This is the voice of the servant. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of our God. The priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations. And in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore in their land they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. Now as we enter into verse 8, the voice changes. This is now the voice of the Lord Himself. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. Again, we change voice as we go into verse 10. This is the voice of the future redeemed. The church, Israel, the future Zion. Verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So as we, as we uh, proceed into the lesson, I want to just give you up front the outline, the three, the three topics. Um, that I want to make sure we talk about. It's about Jesus' mission. And we're, we're not going to be shy about saying Jesus' name because Jesus is the servant. Isaiah has been talking about the servant. We could call him a servant with a capital S. We could call him uh, this Messiah figure. But it's Jesus. He revealed himself. And, and so we're going to say Jesus' mission, this is about the mission of Jesus here. Jesus' mission is eternal. Jesus' mission is good news. And the third point, Jesus' mission is our mission. Jesus' mission is eternal. Jesus' mission is good news. And Jesus' mission is our mission. So let's jump in. There's a, there's a little bit of theology we can talk about today in this first section. Jesus' mission is eternal. Because, because this has been long prophesied. In the eternal trinity, this mystery, we talked about it in Sunday school this morning, that Faith is getting it figured out, right, Faith? You're getting the Trinity figured out? You let us know when you get it done, okay? Because it's hard. It's mysterious even for all of us, right? But this God, this mysterious Trinity, had a plan from the beginning. He created, but even in His creation, He knew that there would be trouble. So He made a plan from the beginning. And so, we know this um, 
This first line of verse 1. It's fascinating. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Just in those few words, we can see the Trinity. The Lord God, who's he talking about? The Father. The Spirit of the Lord God, clearly the Holy Spirit, is upon me. And the me here is the Son, the Servant, the Messiah, Jesus Himself. In those few words, we have the Trinity called out. He's working in concert. He's working together to bring redemption. Um, So Jesus' role as a perfect sacrificial lamb was ordained before the foundation of the world. We see this in 1 Peter. And from the ancient days, from even before days were days, this was true. His, his role as a perfect sacrificial lamb was ordained before the foundation of the world. And Hebrews reminds us, so eternal from the past, and Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is also this perfect priest. And he lives forever to intercede for us. So eternal into the future. Eternal into the past and eternal into the future is this role of Jesus. And why am I talking about all this theology? Because it tells us about the character of God. Oh, it's interesting for our brains to be tickled a little bit. And and there are some of us who are just bent that way to love that. But really, it should move our hearts. Because this is a God who from the very beginning prepared for love and prepared for sacrifice for redemption. It tells us about His character. He's a God who knew that we would get it wrong before He even made us, and yet He made us anyway, and also made a plan by which we could be saved, and not only saved, but He could be even more glorified. And as, as the passage said, we get a double portion. We talked about Rahab in Sunday school this morning. As lowly as she was, she got a double portion of glory and, and, and blessing. Now second... We have the eternal nature of this plan, and then we have the announcement of the plan. So Jesus declared himself in Luke. I'm going to read that passage in a minute. Jesus declared himself to be the promised servant that was coming. Isaiah promised the servant, and now Jesus is going to say, that's me. Luke's gospel records this time Jesus announced himself. And I want you to just kind of try to picture the scene. Because he's in a synagogue in Nazareth. And Nazareth is Jesus' hometown. This is where he grew up. Not where he was born, but where he grew up. So people know him here. And how do they know him? He's the son of Joseph. They know Joseph. And they know Jesus. He's his son to them. And Joseph is what? He's a carpenter. He's not the mayor. He's a carpenter. And what's Jesus? He's a carpenter too. Because his dad is. Right? So they know this guy. He is also a regular attender at the synagogue. And by the fact that he, when he stands up and reads, no one thinks twice about it, clearly he's done that before, right? He, he reads sometimes in the synagogue. And that was the way the synagogue service worked. Read the scripture. And sometimes at length. Now, Jesus isn't going to read very long. Um, but remember that this is the picture here. He's in the synagogue. These people know who he is. They've been around him his whole life. But... But he knows more than that. He knows who he is. Really. His identity as what? The the fulfillment of the promise made first to Eve, then to Adam, or then, then to Abraham, to Moses, to David. All of the prophets, they got this promise. And in our reading, Isaiah is now relaying this promise again. And Jesus is, he knows on it. It's time. So that's going to be the context to think about as we listen to these words. Hear the word of the Lord. 
This is from Luke 4, 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? This is the word of the Lord. So we see... This, this is dramatic. You know, G- Jesus is reading from the, the prophet Isaiah, the greatest. And, and he says, today in your hearing is this fulfilled. Wow. And, and the people of Nazareth knew what he was saying. There was really no question. They understood what he meant. Amazing. But the principle here is that Jesus' mission is eternal. Foreordained, planned by the Trinity, and now announced. Announced in the presence of these people, his hometown. The time's come. This son of Eve, this prophet of Moses, and this servant of Isaiah, he's here. And that leads us to our second point. That Jesus' mission is good news. Jesus' mission is good news. And that's the content of what he read to them was this good news. So Jesus is announcing that he's the promised one. Let's take a look at what he says he came to do. I'm going to list them really quickly and then we'll just kind of walk through them. First, he's going to proclaim good news to the poor. Second, he's going to proclaim liberty to the captives. He's going to recover sight to the blind. He's going to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then he's going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So if you look at this list in Luke and compare it to Isaiah, we see a couple differences. And I'll breeze by the first one. The recovering of sight to the blind is actually not mentioned in Isaiah 61, but it is mentioned in Isaiah 42. Jesus knows the scripture very well. And he has the right to blend things together if he wants to. The second, the second difference, though, is more interesting. Isaiah, Isaiah 61 promises that the servant will come to bring vengeance. But Jesus specifically leaves that out. He doesn't mention that. Why? Why would that be? Well, we now understand with the gift of perspective and time that Jesus' mission is to be in two parts. And the announcement on that day in Nazareth was only about the first part. The first part, to come as a servant, to show us the love of God, and then to give himself for us, that was his mission at that time. He will come again as conqueror, avenger, king, and judge. But for now, for this trip, he's come to bring good news. The very first thing that he says, this is good news. So first, let's walk through these a little bit. He's going to proclaim good news to the poor. Now this is interesting, why the poor? Remember that the angels who announced Jesus' birth to the shepherds, they said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Good news again. What's the good news? This Messiah is here. And now Jesus in first person is able to announce. And they announced to who who first? These shepherds. Lowly poor guys. These, These men were not men of status. They were just shepherds in the field. 
But they got the news first. God likes to do that. Why does Jesus focus on the poor? Well, who's the most desperate for intervention? Rich or poor? Who is most likely to recognize their need for help? Rich or poor? James tells us that God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith. Jesus told us that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Now, we're not saying that a rich person can't have faith, but it's harder. And we can't say that a poor person can lack faith, but it's easier for them to listen. To receive God's mercy, here's the thing. To receive God's mercy, we have to be meek. We have to be humble. As Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, he called it poor in spirit, right? It's easier for someone who's poor in the world to be poor in spirit because you're used to being humble in the world. For someone who's comfortable in this world, who thinks they have the world mastered because they have money, for that person it's hard and it's unusual to be poor in spirit. So why do you suppose we're seeing in this country, and the statistics are out there, we're seeing an increase in what they call the religious nuns. It's N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. Because people say, I don't need God. I don't need any religion. I don't need anything like that. I'm, I'm good. I'm independent without it. And why is that? Because our nation is rich. But people don't see a need. Right? As a, as a whole, our nation is quite rich. We're physically comfortable. We have all the food and other resources that we need just readily available, which doesn't take a lot of effort to get your basic needs met. And as, as Weston has mentioned now, was when we talked about the fasting, a lack of physical need often goes with a lack of spiritual hunger. A lack of physical need often goes with a lack of spiritual hunger. And Jesus is coming and saying, I've got good news for the poor. Why is it good news? They're hungry. They want to hear some good news. They want some relief. The rich people aren't looking for change and radical change. Why would they? They're comfortable. He also said, I'm coming to proclaim liberty to the captives and set at liberty those who are oppressed. So he's talking about liberty twice here. Two of his lines are about liberty to the captives and to the oppressed. And here's the thing. Jesus is all about freedom. Jesus really cares about freedom. That is a big deal. What did God do for Israel in the exodus from Egypt? He freed them. He set them free. But we can, get, we can get confused about what freedom really is, can't we? Israel was freed from physical slavery, and that was a mighty miracle. It was a, truly a watershed moment in history. But that was the only, be, the, only the beginning of God's plan for true freedom. Um, if we think about the context of Isaiah, his prophecy, and, and of Jesus' announcement of the, of the prophecy, Isaiah was prophesying about a, prophesying about a future time when Israel would be captive. It's hard to keep the timing straight here. Isaiah is speaking in advance of things that would be true. That, Isaiah, that, that Israel would be captive and, and in exile and very sad. And so now he's bringing words of comfort to that future state after he's brought words of, of judgment before. So there's going to be a, a future state of Israel from Isaiah's perspective where they're captive and they need to be free. And Jesus is saying, I'm here. The land's going to be occupied and overrun by enemies. Now, Jesus is in the synagogue even hundreds of years beyond that time. But guess what? They're still occupied. Only now, instead of the Babylon, Babylon it's the Romans. And, and he's talking to these people in Nazareth. And they have this, this overall context of the Roman Empire dominating their nation. 
taking away their sovereignty. These people may have seen people crucified because that's what the Romans did if you caused trouble. And, and so when, they, when Jesus says, I'm here to, to set liberty to the captives and, and get, give liberty to those who are oppressed, what are they thinking of? Oh, we're oppressed all right. Rome's here and I wish they would leave. But he's, he's also speaking of something deeper than that. Because from the time of Adam and Eve, we humans have lost our spiritual freedom. We've lost our liberty. Jesus told the Pharisees, and they argued with him. They said, we haven't been slaves. And he said, oh yes. Because anyone who sins is a slave to sin. You've lost your freedom. You might think you're free. You're not free. You're a slave to sin. But Jesus came to free us from that slavery. Now the third point, Jesus said, I've come to, to, do, to recover the sight to the blind. And Jesus is all about freedom. He's also all about light. He did literally give sight to a man born blind. And that man rejoiced. But as, as with so many of his miracles and signs, it really pointed to a greater truth. It was a literal fact. The man could see when he couldn't see before. But, but that really isn't where the story ends. And that's not where the meaning ends. Because... Because Jesus wants to give us all light, of the light of truth. And we are spiritually blind until we see the light of Jesus. And how do we see this light? Jesus says it's simple. We believe it. We believe who He says He is and what He said He came to do. That's what He wants us to do. And, and in the light of that, all other things can be revealed. We can understand more and more as we trust Him. That He is the Son of God and that He came to pay for our sins. The fourth thing that He he said He came to do is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this is an interesting phrase. It kind of sounds generic. But it's actually referring to something that's very, very specific and has some, some pretty cool meaning behind it. In the Law of Moses in Leviticus, Do you remember that the people had to observe the Sabbath, right? There was a Sabbath. Every seventh day to rest and not work and focus on God and and His favor to us. But then there was also a Sabbath year that was also dictated. And every seventh year they were to let the land rest and trust God to provide during that time. The other prescription was every seventh cycle of seven years... In other words, a seven times seven, that's 49 years. On the 50th year, there was to be a Sabbath of Sabbaths, a Jubilee year. And the Jubilee years is interesting because not only did the land get a rest, but all the people who had debts got their debts forgiven. And the people who had sold their land got their land returned to them. So this, we call this a Jubilee year. That's, that's what it was called. And you know what's interesting? It was never, ever observed. The people of Israel were given this direction by God to observe the Sabbaths, to observe the Sabbath years, to observe the Jubilee. They never once did it. They didn't do the Jubilee. And Jesus says, I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's time for a Jubilee. Pretty neat. But it's, but it's deeper than land getting back because land getting back is good. But what's, what's he really talking about here? He had come to forgive the debt of sin. Okay? 
The Jubilee that's from Leviticus is about debt of money and land. But Jesus had come to forgive the debt of sin, to pay it off on our behalf, right off. Have you ever had debt? I have. It's no fun. It's a burden. It causes worry. It causes stress. And you know what? Debt takes away your freedom, actually, to do what you want to do financially. And if it gets out of control, it can become more than you can handle. You can be buried under it. I have friends who have been bankrupt, and it's, it's terrible. It's a really hard thing. Imagine being in more debt than you can handle. Some of us have been there. Some of us have been blessed to, ever, to never have to deal with that. But guess what? We all have a debt we can't pay. The debt of sin. And the only payment for that is death. Now that makes a big student loan or credit card look pretty easy. But the thing is you have to accept this truth. Because I have not been bankrupt before. I think I've tried to be very responsible with my money. And God's blessed me with, with having a job that, that allows me to do that. So it would be easy for me to, to not really recognize how painful it can be to go through a bankruptcy. And the same is true with sin. Because if we think that our good behavior is good enough, we're, we're dead wrong. We have to recognize that in God's eyes, in our behavior, we are bankrupt. And we need somebody. This is, this is what it means to be poor in spirit. This is what it means to recognize good news to the poor. If I'm bankrupt, then is someone coming to pay my debts? That's really good news. But if I think I'm rich, I don't need this guy. But this is what Jesus came to do. He came to pay your bill. So, do you see how Jesus came to bring good news? Because Jesus' mission is good news. He came to the poor, which is you. He came to the captives, which is you. He came to the blind, which is you and me. And he came to the bankrupt, which is you. Do you recognize that you're poor, enslaved, blind, bankrupt? Or are you like the Pharisees and say, oh, well, we've never been enslaved. I'm, I'm responsible. Or do you try to make it on your own? Here's the comfort in all this. You were loved before time began. This, this promise, this plan was eternal from the beginning. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit planned this before the creation of the world. He knew that you would need a rescue before He even made you. But He made you anyway, and He made a way to rescue you. And this is what Paul means in Romans 8. That, that verses, those verses that we love to say about who can separate us from the love of God. That's what he means. That from the very beginning, he had a plan. And he loves us so much. He purposed his love for us from, the, from before creation. What a comfort. And that's good news. Now the third point that I want to make here. We have Jesus' mission that is eternal. And Jesus' mission that is good news for us. Jesus' mission is our mission. Okay? Jesus came to Nazareth and he announced himself and his mission. But look what else the text says in verse 10 and verse 6. Uh, in verse 10, he says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And then in verse 6, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. So then Jesus has come to free the captives, to give sight to the blind, pay our debts, and 
He invites us to be part of the mission going forward. So he redeems us. He clothes us with righteousness and salvation. And then it says you'll be called priests of the Lord and you'll speak as ministers of God. So then we go in obedience and in joy. And it says we'll be called priests and ministers. Is he talking about Kevin and I as priests and ministers? Yeah. But you know what? He's talking about the rest of us too. Because we're all priests and ministers. If we are believers in God, if, if we have trusted Jesus as our, as our Savior, then we're all priests and ministers. A nation of us. A holy nation. So what do we do? Then we follow Him. He's got a mission. He announced His mission. These things to, to bring freedom. To bring truth and light. Right? To bring good news to the poor. These, this is our mission as well. We've heard of this great commission. commission. Uh, Jesus gave the great commission. So we walk with Him in obedience and joy. We, have, we follow His great commission to take the truth to the whole world. So like our Savior, we must preach truth. We must, we must bring light to the lost. We, we, have, we have to tell them they have a debt of sin, but He's the debt payer. We have to tell them they're blind, but He's the healer. We have to tell them they're slaves, but he's the rescuer. And also like our Savior, our preaching and truth must go with action. Jesus used his power to cure diseases. He cured cases of real physical need. But why? To point to the real power. His power to forgive and pay this debt. To redeem spiritually. And we can do the same thing. We can use our own physical strength and our service to people and our love for other people to point to the love of Christ. And this is, what, this is what it means when James says that pure religion is to care for widows and orphans. That's what he means. When Jesus says that the difference between sheep and goats of judgment is what they did for others, that's what it means. We have a faith. The faith converts into action and we, we work and we, we follow our faith in action. Now, our actions don't save us. This came up in Sunday school. Our actions don't save us but our faith must demonstrate, or our actions must demonstrate that we, that we have faith. They go together. So Jesus calls us to be part of His eternal plan. The rescue mission that was planned from eternity, led by the eternal servant Jesus Himself, is willing to not only rescue you, but give you a part in the mission. What a privilege. Let's follow where He leads, to the lost, the poor, the blind to help us, preach truth and do service. As Micah put it, to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. Remember, this is our part of the mission. Jesus will handle the judgment and vengeance part. That's on Him. We don't need that part. So if the musicians would come up, I'm going to close with just a few thoughts and then we'll pray. We talked about Jesus' mission being planned from eternity. What a comfort. Because we know that He saw us in our need. He saw us before our need even existed. And, he, and so Isaiah prophesied that the mission and the servant would bring rescue. Jesus came 700 years after Isaiah to announce He is the servant. And He's here to bring this rescue. The mission started. And Jesus said the mission is good news. Have you received this good news? Not just heard it, but accepted it as true and spoke, out, spoke it out loud before God and others. 
The scripture tells us that for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's what Jesus asks us to do. Believe that he is who he says he is, and then say it out loud. Confess it. That's what he wants. If you haven't done that, is God calling you to do that? If you've believed, if you have believed, if you have professed, guess what? Keep doing it. Keep professing. Because even your brothers and sisters who, who already know Jesus, they still need to hear it. Rhonda said that so well last week. We still need to hear it. We could be saved for decades, but we still need to hear that God is, is taking care of us. This gospel does not get old. We need to be reminded of our need for a Savior, and we need to be grateful every time we hear it. Finally, Jesus' mission is our mission. Jesus invites you to be rescued, and once you have been, you'll be part of the mission. Will you share the truth? Will you serve others in kindness? Jesus has given us so much kindness. If we can, if we can serve others with the kindness that he gave to us, with the patience that he gives to us, what, what, what service that would be? And what a, what a word that would speak to people. It's an honor and privilege to serve with this great king, but he invites us to participate. Praise the Lord for his good news. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel, for the, the plan that you made before time began. And Father, for, for the opportunity that each of us has to come and know you and be saved from our bankruptcy of sin, Father, from the captivity of our sin, for the, from the blindness of the lies of Satan, Father. And we, we pray that you will give us each relief from these things. Father, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name.